0: Lord God, as uh, we uh, open Your Word, uh, it is our prayer that You would speak. But Lord, we we know You're already speaking. You've been speaking to us nonstop since the creation of the world. In some cases, through the stars; in some cases, through the mountains, the beach, the valleys, the Grand Canyon, or a ladybug on the windshield. Lord, there's just so many times and ways You speak to us through creation. Lord, that, uh, as awesome as that general revelation is, that special revelation of your word is just that. It is extra special because you get more direct, more explicit in your word. Some of us really need that. I know I do, and I thank you for it. Lord, it's, um, it's good that it's available, but it's not always easy to understand, and so today I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and minds in such a way that we would be able to see and hear what you have to say to us today and that we might not just hear it and sit on it, but that we would do it, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we would be wise men and women building our house on the rock. Help us with this because there's distractions, there are uh, obstacles that abound in our lives that keep us from doing just that. But Lord, we trust that you are able to overcome all those obstacles and help us to get where you want us to be if we would just be willing. Find us willing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are one week away, next week's our last week in the book of Colossians before we start the book of Matthew and we revisit the life of Jesus and we start walking through that biography of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, But here we are in this letter, this letter that we're um, getting to the end of, and I just want to kind of catch us up in case you haven't been able to hear any of the messages about this letter called Colossians. It's a letter called the letter to the Colossians because it's written to the Christians in a city called Colossae. Colossae is no longer, but uh, it was in a, it's in the part of the world called Turkey today. And uh, there were several churches in that region, which was called Asia Minor back in the day. And uh, Laodicea was nearby. You may have heard of that one. Um, Hierapolis was also one of those that was nearby. And Paul said at the end of the letter, make sure they get this letter too. This is how scriptures were shared in the early days. They didn't have bound Bibles and a few people might have had a scroll or two, but everything was taught word of mouth and it was oral traditions that were passed on or orally transmitting scripture. And so Paul wrote this letter and he put it in the hands of Epaphras who was a member of that church there in Colossae and he traveled from Rome to Colossae to deliver, to read that letter to the believers in that church. And then while, he, probably before they're done, somebody's already making a copy to take to Laodicea. And someone else is making a copy to take to Hierapolis. And who knows where else, because we, found, we find over 25,000 fragments or full copies of the New Testament all over the world, especially in that, those regions. There's not another ancient document in history that has anywhere near the number of manuscript fragments or or completed manuscripts in the world. The closest thing is one of Homer's works, and I think there's like 700 of those. And that's considered impressive by historical standards. So to have 25,000 pieces of the new testament written independently copied down by different people in different languages and bringing them all together and finding so few discrepancies is so impressive it just says god not only wrote his word but he oversaw the distribution and the translation and even the copying of his word so that today we could have confidence today two thousand years later that we have the word of god even though the originals are nowhere to be found but we have the copies. Of those originals and therefore we have actually something that's even better because nobody's going to worship a copy Well, I shouldn't say that people do worship strange things But we don't have a set of the original scriptures with a line of people worshiping those pieces of paper And i'm i'm grateful. We don't have that So what we have is is god's word and it's reliable and it's trustworthy and and therefore it is worthy of our lives being banked on it And that's what i am seeking to do and it's what i'm seeking to lead others to do because I believe it leads to uh the best life that you can have um, because it's the life that god created you to have and so i don't know what you come in with today what baggage what issues what pains what legitimate concerns you bring in today god's word has something for you and i think he has something for you today whether it's what i have anything to say about or not because god knows what you need and he's going to deliver if you'll just trust him he is trustworthy he's good So, quick overview of this letter. If you remember, uh, this letter was written by Paul while he was in prison. Okay, he wrote four letters while he was in our house arrest. And then later when he was re-imprisoned and put in a dungeon, he wrote one or two more. But in this period of time in Rome, he's arrested. He's under house arrest, which means he's got some freedom but he is chained to a Roman soldier all the time. I don't know if those guys bathe much, but man, that sounds like that might've been tough. Not that Paul would have smelled great as a prisoner, but he would have been chained to a Roman soldier and every eight hours, that would have changed to another guy and another guy. So he's sleeping next to a Roman soldier. And apparently under house arrest, I kind of picture this above ground dwelling, maybe a window, an open door, and they've given him the freedom to either speak to crowds through the window through the door, or maybe they even let him go outside and talk to the crowds, because he's preaching and teaching. He's corresponding. He's writing letters like this. He's busy, able to do ministry, even while he's under house arrest awaiting to see Nero himself or the emperor himself. So he's waiting for a trial. It ends up being there in Rome for like two years. So while he's in there, he writes Colossians, he writes Ephesians, he writes Philippians, which, by the way, the theme is joy for Philippians. So isn't it interesting that while he's in prison, he writes a letter about the joy of the Lord. That's, that's credibility right there. And then the other letter, most people we referred to last week as Philemon, where he, it's just a one-chapter letter. He writes to an individual whose name is Philemon. Okay, so uh, he starts off the letter, thanksgiving and praise and prayer just for these people in Colossae. Paul didn't start that church, so he doesn't know these people personally, but he knows them by reputation and, of course, Epaphras, I think their pastor has traveled to Rome, and so he's gotten firsthand what's going on there. And what's going on is, among other things, there's all these false teachers that are spreading lies and unsettling and, dis- and de- uh, dividing the fellowship of people there in Colossae. So Epaphras says, like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go see Paul because I know where he is. And he goes, and Paul says, well, I can, I can write a letter. And so, um, you know, we're, we just kind of picture him sitting down with a pen. He probably dictated this to one of the other guys that were with him, uh, Timothy. He says in the very first verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy's with him. Timothy's like his right-hand man, his apprentice, his son in the Lord. Um, we know by the end of the chapter, verse 12, chapter 4, we know that uh, there's a couple other guys there. T- verse 12 says Epaphras is there. I mentioned him. Verse 14 We have Luke is there. Luke is his personal physician. Um, Demas is another disciple follower um, that is there as well. So those are the guys that I know that are there, um, those five. And um, so Paul's writing this letter. He's he's there. And then he says this, he, he writes this piece of Colossians that I'm going to read again. And it's because it's so, so, so important, not only to the understanding of this letter, but to the understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he does what he has done, and why it matters. So I'm going to start, and I'm still in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I'm going to read through this. This is one of those famous Christological passages that are so important for us to review. I'll just, um, and it's going to flow right into where we are in chapter 4, okay? So it describes Jesus, okay, so we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, what God is, is three persons. Who he is, is God Almighty, Yahweh, Jesus, This that, that God who is one, but reveals himself in three ways. And so he's going to describe the second person of the Trinity called the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, find Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. Firstborn in status, not in the fact that just because he was born, he was created. He was born as Jesus of Nazareth. He already existed from the beginning because he created all things, which we'll see here in a sec. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. There it is. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. There's his eternal nature. And in him all things hold together. And so for the scientists that are wondering what holds the atom from flying apart, the atom is held together by God himself. And I'm sure there's a scientific explanation that will one day finally be discovered. But they don't know what to name that force. They probably have a nickname for it. I would say, call him Jesus. But anyway, there's a force. That's what that'll... So no extra charge for that scientist. You can just go ahead and take credit. In him, all things hold together. And he is... This is a good church line. He is the head of the body, the church... Okay, so this is a good reminder for me. I'm not the head of this church. Our elders are not the head of this church. Our deacons are not the head of this church. There's nobody who's the head of this church that sits in this room. God is the head of this church through his son Jesus. And he says that's the priority here. So any leadership that we have here is submissive and and should be fully submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church that is the body. Now, this is interesting. I've often said that the body of Christ is a description of the church as an analogy or as a metaphor, but actually that is not correct. It's not saying we're like the body. It's saying we are the body. So, man, I got to think about that, but that hit me this week, and I was like, whoa, I'd never ever thought about it quite like that. He is the head. We are the body. We don't Decide whether or not, if you are in Christ, you are part of the body. Globally, locally, you're part of the body. Okay? And then it says in uh, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So he was the first that was resurrected. I don't mean raised from the dead and die again. I mean resurrected never to die again. And we have that hope because of that. And then it says, so that in everything... He might have supremacy. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was like this, this would be pretty impressive. You might go, hey, he's all right. No, this is, this is impressive, right? There's nobody that can do this. This is a description of God in the flesh, okay? But it continues because there's more to come. But this is why we call our series Supreme, because he is supreme. Verse 19, for God was pleased. Anytime you please God, you're in a good place. God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, so God the Father, on behalf of the Godhead, said, "I'm going to put the fullness of the Godhead in a, in an earth suit, so to speak." Jesus of Nazareth, who becomes a contractor, carpenter, stone worker, guy. Now, obviously, God can't fit in a human body completely. So in Philippians, we see that he emptied himself of some of that, set it aside and said, stay right there. He didn't cease to be God, but he made himself in such a way that he could be God and limited as human. So so here we have Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And if it sounds like I know how to explain that, then I got you fool, because I do not know how to wrap my brain around fully God and fully man. But I do know how to trust that it's true. And that's what I do, besides great rhymes like that. Okay, so for he was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to do, this is big, don't miss this, to reconcile all things to himself. To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by how? Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this is kind of the whole point. We have God who created, and he could have just wound up the clock and set it on the mantle and walked away. That's what deists believe. They think God created and walked away, and everything's just kind of going the way it's going because God's not involved. But in fact, the Scriptures teaches he's very involved, and he, what is his mission? As God is involved, he is reconciling. Okay? You know, you've heard of irreconcilable differences. It's like when two parties just can't get together on anything. They can't agree enough to be together on anything. So they're irreconcilable, not reconcilable. Well, God takes irreconcilable differences and he does a wonder and he reconciles people. He reconciles husbands and wives. He reconciles parents and kids. He reconciles best friends who betrayed one another. He reconciles churches he reconciles races he reconciles nation god does that that's his work and he does it through the cross and what i mean by that is he does it through the example and the power that is generated by that act on the cross he does that through the power of grace and mercy demonstrated by jesus christ on the cross and what do i mean by that this is big don't miss this what he what he did was God, holy and just and deserving to give us the wrath of God, made another way. Instead of God just taking humanity and going that bug needs to get squashed and I need to start over, and you might say, well, he did kind of do that with Noah, you know, and I was like, yeah, but he still had seven or eight. How many to have? Noah, wife, three kids, and they were married, so looks like eight. Okay. So, I don't know what the movie said, but I would go with the scripture. I think it's eight. Um, So, he kind of started over, but really, I mean, he could do that again and not start over, right? And he would be totally justified in wiping humanity out because we've been the traitor race from the beginning. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is. We're all traitors. We all deserve his wrath. And Jesus died for all nations of all people who deserve his wrath. And he made a way for us to avoid that wrath. That's right. That's why it's called good news, because we don't get squashed like a bug like we deserve. But instead, he said, I'm going to do something. I'm not going to cease to be just. I'm going to punish sin. But the way I'm going to do it, instead of punishing all of humanity, is I'm going to punish the one person to walk the earth that doesn't deserve it, so that the rest can walk free if they trust that that's why I did it. And so he sends his son. He comes down as the son of God and he becomes the son of man and he's Jesus in the flesh and he walks the earth and he never gives in to the temptations he experiences. He dies the death on the cross that we deserve to die. He doesn't, but he takes it on willingly. Even though he doesn't deserve it, and so then he basically becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that was prophesied for 1,500 years, and demonstrated as an example and as illustration through the sacrificial system that the Jews you know, have gave to us in the Old Testament. It's all a picture of what's to come. The Old Testament's like He's coming. The New Testament's like He came and He's coming again. That's kind of the Bible in a nutshell. You can quote me on that. All right, so he, he, he does this supremacy, supremacy thing, and he ends up with this. This is what I'm doing. I'm reconciling humanity, and the reason that is possible is because I came down and made things right. Now, while it's available to all, it's not automatic. It's important. While God has sovereignly made it so that you can come to him on his terms, he is not doing it for you. And he's not making you do it. He's inviting you. Okay? So when you share the gospel with someone else, the good news, gospel means good news. When you share this good news with someone else, it's not your job to twist their arm and convince them to do anything, to think anything. It's your job to say, to share, and let God do the saving. Okay? Because we're really bad at this, like we can't. Okay? I might be able to change your mind, but if I can change your mind, somebody else is going to come along and change it again. God changes the heart. And that's, that's what he's doing, hopefully still doing in my life, because I still need some of that. But there's a, there's a moment where we go from enemy of God to child of God, and this is what it means to reconcile. It's to reconcile humanity to their creator. Because we were estranged at the garden when Adam and Eve broke the one rule they had. And we've been following in their wake ever since, consistently being just like them. But Jesus is the second Adam, as, it tells, as Paul tells us in another letter. And he came to make things right. And when we trust him, then our lives become right with him. We become reconciled to God. And when our relationship with God is right, now the the formula is in place. The recipe is in, in place. And now I can be right with other people. I can be reconciled to my neighbor, my boss, my coworkers, my spouse, my kids, my parents, my best friends, my enemies. I can be reconciled. Now, keep that in mind as we get to chapter 4, which is our passage for today. Starting in verse 2, it's just a few verses here. Very, very practical. First, three ver- first two chapters of Colossians, very theological. Second two chapters, very practical. This is Paul's pattern. He wants to lay the foundation, and then he wants to say why it matters. This is who I am and what I've done. This is what you get to do as a result of being my, my people. This, is, this flows from your identity in Christ. If I'm a son or a daughter of Christ, God, then this is how I live as a son or daughter of God. And he's been giving us all kinds of applications, right? We've already talked about how you, how you live as husband and wife, how you deal with and treat your children and your parents, how you deal with your employer, your employee, your boss, your, your coworkers, all of that. We deal, dealt with all that. Today, he's going to give us one more set of application, and it's broad-reaching, even though it sounds very narrow, okay? Very na- it's not narrow. It's, it's the kind of application that will touch every single person in this room. There's not a person in here that can say this doesn't apply to me unless you don't trust the Lord Jesus. Okay? And then I would just say it doesn't apply to you yet. But even to you, because you have the privilege to exercise this. You have the freedom to choose to do what he's getting ready to instruct us in how to do. And that is how to live devoted to prayer. Now, I probably, it probably would be pretty, pretty low risk for me to guess that most of you know we should pray. If you believe there's a God, and you know that I probably need to talk and listen to him. So I'm not going to spend any time trying to convince you of that. Okay? The Bible doesn't spend any time trying to convince you of that. The Bible speaks from a perspective of, well, this is true, so we're going to move on. If you have trouble believing there's a God or not, we can have a conversation, but the Bible's not having that conversation because the Bible's just acting on what is true. It's like we're not going to take the time to do that. Now, in our culture, we need to take the time to talk to people that are there and love them where they are, and he's going to, but he's going to address even how to do that right here in verses 2 through 6. So let's walk through this brief, briefly. Basically, bottom line today is that we devote ourselves to prayer when we are watchful, we are thankful, And we are missional. Those are the three words I'm using today to describe and what Paul is basically saying. The only word I bring in that he doesn't use is missional, but he describes it in two verses. So I think I'm in pretty safe there. Be watchful, be thankful, and be missional. And if you're doing those things under the headship of Christ, then you will be devoting yourself to prayer because you will recognize, I can't do this without him. Okay. Um, Rick Warren says it this way, he says, you can tell a person's faith by their prayer life. In other words, if they believe that prayer works, they're going to pray. Yeah. Sounds pretty straightforward, but when I heard that the first time, it just kind of blew me away and convicted me to the ground and all kinds of just, uh, I mean, it was just like, so, wow, maybe I should try that prayer thing, seminary boy. You know, it's like, what? I mean, we talk about it, but we do, we do it. And part of the reason we don't have any confidence in our prayer life is because we don't practice it. At least that's my experience. Okay, so he starts right out the shoot, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. And if you don't hear anything else, maybe that's a good application, devote yourselves to prayer. But what I want you to see is he tells you how in this passage. He's telling you this is how you devote yourselves to prayer. Now, I could take time, not that I have it, and I could go through the Lord's Prayer. And that would be a great example of Jesus teaching uh, the answer to the question, how do we pray? Because that's what the disciples asked. Jesus, how do we pray? Because they've seen him pray and they've seen things happen that they cannot explain. They're like, how can we do that prayer thing you do? Because wow. And so Jesus lays it out and you can write this down, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, very specific, but you've probably heard our father who art in heaven or who is in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. In other words, let your kingdom come your will be done. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, today, our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. So we see, we see the Father's uh, character and that he's holy and that he's relational. We see the Father's kingdom and that people who are in his kingdom are going to do his will. We see the, kingdom's for, the, king's for, the Father's forgiveness. He forgives We see the Father's provision, he provides. We see the Father's leadership, he guides. And we see the Father's deliverance, he he rescues. Okay, all of those are there. That's why I use a little hexagon shape somebody told me about to show the six things it tells us about God the Father. So that's a good prayer to memorize. Pray, you can pray it word for word. You can pray and riff off of it. It's there for you to use, okay? Don't be afraid to pray the Lord's Prayer. Well, it might be, you know, I might just make it legalistic. Well, then don't do that. Just pray it from the heart, and you won't make it legalistic. It won't do that. Don't not pray it because you're afraid of what might happen because things are going to happen if you start praying that prayer. But here, he's like he's giving us another, uh, coming at it from another angle, and that missional angle is here. But don't miss it. It's in the Lord's Prayer. My, uh, Let my kingdom come is a missional prayer. Okay? The kingdom of God is here and near, but not quite done being here. Okay? That's why Jesus will say, in one passage, Jesus will say, the kingdom of God is here, Mark 1.15. And then in other places, he'll go, and the kingdom is going to come. And he's like, well, Jesus, which is it? And he's like, yes, it's here, but not all here. Because when it's all here, my enemies will be vanquished. There will be no more evil, no more suffering, no more pain, none of that. And so there's this period of time that he's allowing the world to be what it is with his kingdom in the kind of in the uh, shadows, if you will, working like a little tiny seed in a garden that seems so insignificant. And then eventually it grows into this tree that dominates the garden. Okay? The Kingdom of God is like yeast working through just a little bit of, just a dabble do you put a little yeast in and boom that expands the, the dough right. All of this is, um, all these are pictures of the kingdom of God that are described in great detail in the book of Matthew, which we'll get to, and we'll look at how that works. All of that is missional, and when I say missional, here's what I mean: telling people they can be reconciled to God. It Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters what you're going to do with what you know now that I've told you the truth that sets you free. Okay? It's not about where you are. It's where you're headed. Where are you heading spiritually? So, devote yourselves to prayer. Being watch- watchful, being thankful, being missional. Verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. What does it mean to be watchful? Uh, actually, one of our hymns actually talked about open your ears, open your eyes, pay attention. Pay attention to what? Pay attention to two, kind of two categories of things. Kind of pay attention to what's going on in your own heart and your own mind. You know, slow down and, and let your thoughts kind of collect in such a way that you can actually process. Some of us are going so hard and so fast that we're not, we're not thinking. Okay? There's several ways you can do this, but just one is just a piece of paper and a pen. Okay, and just get, a, if you like coffee, get a cup of coffee. If you like something else, get, just get something, get a clear table or clear desk. Go somewhere where you don't have any, anybody asking for your attention. Uh, or maybe go to a, a place where nobody knows you and sit at the table, get your favorite drink, and a, pad, a blank pad, a pen, and and turn off your phone and just start writing. Okay, now I do it a little different. I'll, I'll do my journaling for my time alone with the Lord Soap on whatever verse i'm working on and then i'll write at the end of that part What else lord dot 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 and now what am I doing? I'm giving myself permission to just let god speak and write what comes to mind Okay, i'm not going to try to sort it out. But what happens is I begin to sort out Because every time I put something on paper that i've been thinking about now my mind is free I don't have to remember that anymore. So there's relief And so as I write, I'm getting all this on paper, and it's like, now that those things are, I've been relieved of remembering those things that were bothering me, now my mind is free to think about other things. And so what happens is you keep peeling back the layers, and eventually what comes out are the things that you're really bothering, that you keep burying. and stepping on and crunching and hoping you don't have to deal with it and you get it on paper and all of a sudden you look back and you start to see patterns you start to see problems you start to see praises you start to see all kinds of cool things that don't necessarily start with the letter p but you get them on paper and so you're like okay okay and you and and you start to find that there's peace in that and I can deal with things because when I put a problem that's in my head on paper it never looks as big on paper as it did in my head it's like I can handle that now. And I think part of that is because I'm doing that under the headship of Christ. So in watch, be watchful inwardly, but also be watchful outwardly, okay? And there's a couple of layers here. I would say around the corner and around the world. I like to talk about looking out two windows. There's the window of my house or my car, okay? That means I'm looking out at reality that's happening where I can physically get out and touch something. And the other window is our screens on our phones and all the other things and devices we use. Isn't it interesting how often those two things are very, very different? It's like, man, the world looks like it's getting ready to blow up through this screen. And I'm looking out my window and I'm going, well, there's some kids playing in the street, but I think we're okay. And it's like, I don't, in reality, somewhere in between, Right. But, but let's not get away from reality out the window and get so consumed with what's in the screen. But we need to be watchful of both. We need to be looking around the corner locally what's happening in my life. And we need to be looking around the world what's going on globally. And just pay attention. Okay. And if one of those is becoming super stressor, and maybe you need to fast a little bit of that. If news is stressing you out, turn it off. There's an off switch on those things. And just give yourself time to process, to, to maybe even just... Um, you know, the old defrag your hard drive thing. Uh, I think maybe some of that can happen. So be watchful, okay? That's an intentional activity. It's personal, it deals with your character, but it's practical, it deals with how you're living. The next one is to be thankful. We've talked about this before because it just keeps showing up everywhere we preach. Every time i seems like every three or four weeks, it's saying, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. Why is that? Why do you think God says that? Because it gives me an attitude, oh, sorry for the, a gratitude of attitude of gratitude you know it, it's, it's it's going to affect how you see everything and Voskamp is a writer who wrote the book A Thousand Gifts and in her little talk that she gave about the book she did a little nine minute TED talk kind of thing and she basically said one of the best things you can do to really help yourself your perspective in life wait this is going to be really hard just hang in there say out loud three things you're thankful for every day You know, like, I'm thankful for the air I breathe, that it's not so polluted I have to wear a mask. Because they do in some cities in China. I'm thankful that I got one hour of sleep last night. Okay? Because some of you only got one hour. That's better than no hours. I'm thankful for, you know, right? Just pick something you're thankful. I'm thankful for somebody. I'm thankful for a job. I'm thankful for the fact that I can go to school. Okay, maybe nobody's going to use that, but you know what I'm saying, right? So here, just three things. Now, I think it's better if you do it with somebody else, but I've been in the car and done it in the car, and you know what? It still works for me, really helpful, okay? But it seems so simple, it almost seems childish, and, and there's a tendency in us to go, ah, you know, I can do better than that. Yeah, but let's start with that, because we're probably not going to do that faithfully unless we make it intentional decision to be thankful for three things every day in front of somebody else be thankful devotion to prayer requires you to have an attitude of, of thanksgiving philippians 4 6 and 7 one of the verses that i love to quote because it talks about not being worried anybody have a worry issue anxiety anybody I don't even want to know how many of you are taking drugs for anxiety. Don't even raise your hand, okay? It's like, but what does Paul say? Do not be anxious about anything. That sounds like a command. It's like, who do you think you are, Paul, telling me not to worry? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, and then he throws this little phrase in there, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, we read right over that with thanksgiving part because we're like, ah, it's November. No, it's every day. Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody want some peace of God? I'll take a piece of peace of God. Just bring it. Give me a slice, like that size, and some cheesecake too. Peace, right? Aren't we all like, just give me some, you know, right? Not just peace in Ukraine. Let's have peace in the world, like a shalom kind of peace that the Hebrews talked about that was... A a wholeness that just ripples through your whole body, your whole psyche, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual. Man, those people are hard to find that walk around with the peace of God, aren't they? I'll take a piece of that. Be thankful, be watchful, and be missional. This is the rest of it, okay? This is the biggest chunk, so hang on, because he's got several little things here that tell us what does that look like and tells us how to do that. He says... Um, In verse 3, and pray for us too. I told you who us was. That's Paul, Timothy, Luke, Demas, and Epaphras. Pray for us too. So one of these pieces of mission is just pray for other people. Okay? This is what we tend to do. Some of us, this is our prayer life. Uh, Will you pray for so-and-so for me? That's how we pray. We pray through someone else because we don't think we have quite the connection. Yeah, every time I call God, there's a busy signal. (laughs) I don't understand. And so we say, please pray for someone. That's interceding on their behalf. Do that. There's, that's good. But better would be you praying on their behalf. Okay? Because that ministers to you, not just to them. Pray even better. Pray with them for them on their behalf. Oh, I know. That just went over the top. Sorry. Don't leave. Don't leave. Okay, let me finish. So, so uh, pray for us too. that. Here's the first thing he's praying for. That God may open doors. That God may open a door for our message, okay? This is not the reason we hold doors open for people, but it's a pretty good reason nevertheless. Open doors. Now, here's the thing it doesn't say. Two things it doesn't say. One, it doesn't say that we open those doors. God opens the doors is what he's praying for. And the other thing is that Paul doesn't pray for is that God would open the door to his cell. I think that's significant. He could have would have been totally legit. If I'm in jail, I'm praying that you guys will get me out, right? Like, pray that God will open the doors, chains will fall off, and I can walk out of here. Not his priority, not his focus. Why? Because there's bigger fish to fry here, okay? He says, we may prov- and then he says, open the door. What's the purpose of opening the door? For the message. What message? The mystery of Christ. What's that? Well, in the Old Testament, there was this mystery around who this Messiah figure was. In the New Testament, he's here. He came and he's coming again. The mystery of Christ is that God cared about you so much that he pulled, he pulled all the stops so that you and I could be reconciled to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only that whoever believes in him would not but have everlasting life, right? That's what he did. He gave, he came, he gave, we believe and receive. Okay? So um, he's saying open doors so that we can, so for the message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. In other words, we have a message and it needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be broadcast. Okay? You You know where the word broadcast came from. It didn't come from the radio, it came from taking a bag of seed and broadcasting the seed across the field so that you can grow your crops. Okay? And the seed is symbolic for the word of God in the Bible. So when we broadcast seed that's the word of God, we're proclaiming, heralding the good news that the kingdom of God is near. See how it all's fitting together? That imagery is so powerful. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. For which I am in chains. Paul says, oh, don't forget, I'm in chains. I'm good, but I'm here because I've been doing what I'm calling on you to pray and do. Be devoted that you might do this too. And yes, you'll get arrested and maybe imprisoned as well. Be okay with that. He didn't write that, just so you know. Right, verse four. Pray, there's some more praying, that I, Paul, may proclaim the mystery of Christ, the message of Christ, clearly, as I should Okay, this is why you need to pray for your preacher because we're not always clear up here, okay? But you also need to pray for yourself and others when you're sitting across the lunch table from somebody and you're trying to say the same message to somebody, okay? Or whether you're online tapping out a text or or an email to somebody who's asking questions or asking for prayer, okay? That you would be clear, okay? And so he says, uh, um, proclaim it as I clearly... As I should. Now, he's going to shift gears here. It hasn't changed subjects. He's still on this missional mindset. But he's going to go from prayer to being the answer to the prayer that you just prayed. Okay? So this is probably why we don't really pray. Because we don't really want to be the answer to the prayers we pray. Be wise. Not wise guy. But be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Who are they? Okay, outside of the body of Christ. And we already said the body of Christ represents the people of God, the church, global. And who is that? It's not everybody that signed on a membership card and a pledge card and all. It's, it's people who've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been reconciled to their Creator. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. The people of God are those who have said, I do to Christ and said, I want to be reconciled to the Lord God because I've sinned and He's made a way for me to be forgiven. Okay, that's good news if you've sinned and don't know how to get fixed. He's like, I've already done everything that needs to happen for you to be reconciled to me. I've, now you've got to do your part. I've given you faith. I've given you the opportunity. I've opened your eyes in here so you can hear and see. But you have freedom to, to say no to me. Human responsibility. It's dependent on God's sovereignty, but human responsibility is still there. You see it? It's both and. Okay. So he says, um, "Pray that, okay, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, those who are not followers of Christ yet. Make the most of every opportunity. You don't know when the last time you'll talk to a parent is. You know? And this is why when they're in the hospital, a lot of times we'll go and we'll bring it up then. It's like, don't wait for the hospital, you may not get that. Right? If you're concerned about one of your parents or an uncle or an aunt or a brother or a sister, don't wait. Bring it up. Do it do it. Conversation be full of grace, it says right here, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. But but do something. Because you never know when they've just been waiting for you to ask because you're that church goer, And they're like, one day they're going to ask me. And I may, if I'm having a good day, I may actually entertain, you know, just humor them a little bit. But they really want to know, what is the deal with this Jesus thing? Well, if you don't tell them and you care about them more, right, why would you expect anyone else to do it? And I can tell you, God will do it. He can, he can send somebody else. But What are we so afraid of? What is really so awful in telling somebody, you know, hey, have you thought about eternity? Have you thought about what's next? Um, What do you think? What have you heard? What have you read? And then they tell you and you're like, okay, cool. Make sure I understand what you're saying. Okay, what are you basing that on? Have you thought that through? And just ask questions. Conversation. Verse 6, be always full of grace. You know what grace is? God's riches at Christ's expense is the fancy way. It's just being what you want them to be to you, to them. It's, It's loving people the way you want to be loved, it's treating them the way you want to be treated. It's a golden rule grace. So when you converse with somebody with grace, you're probably not interrupting them, you're probably not doing all the talking, you're probably asking more questions than giving answers. You're probably learning to be a really good listener and patient. You see what I'm saying? All the things I'm not in a conversation, by the way. (laughs) Right? And that's just a few examples. Right? Because we love to talk about our number one subject. And so does everyone else, by the way. So if you ask them questions about them, they're probably going to be interested. But make the connections to what really matters, not about their latest hobby. Talk about things that really matter we have these little windows of opportunity make the most of every opportunity okay how do you know when it's an opportunity because you're being watchful because you're devoted to prayer you're thankful okay and that's how he's playing it out season with salt have you ever eaten anything without salt in it that's supposed to have salt right yeesh that's what cardboard tastes like lots of fiber but no flavor Okay? Season with salt. I want my conversation to be something they want more of. Okay? Well, here's a clue. Less is more. Less words from you makes them want more words from you. And the opposite is true as well. What do we do with this? Listen, at the end of the day, I don't want you just to be devoted to prayer. I want you to be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? But the way we communicate with him is through prayer which is a fancy way of saying I talk and listen to somebody that I can't see. (laughs) And maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. I keep getting up here, and they keep letting me, so I'm going to keep being crazy, okay? But here's the thing. I see God answer prayer. I see it happen more and more. The greater my faith grows, the more I see, and then it grows my faith some more. So don't worry about the size of your faith. Think about who is my faith in? Because if your faith is the Almighty God of the Bible, He's infinite. So math guys and gals, help me with this. I think if I take any number above zero and multiply it times infinity, the answer is infinity. So if I have .01 times ten to the negative trillion amount of faith, is that a negative number? That's still positive okay, not a negative number, times infinity power of God, I have available to me the infinity, infinite power of God. And so when I pray, that's the leverage I have, okay? Now, obviously, there are other factors in our prayer life, like, you know, are you praying in accordance with the will of God? Well, I don't know, okay? Well, do you trust him? Because if you miss it and you pray and you could have prayed something better, don't you think he might answer that instead of what you prayed? <laughs> no, nope, you shot too low. I'm going to give you what you asked for. You know, I'm going to hold back because you, know, you didn't know. Come on, he's good. He's a good God. He wants to answer our prayers. But you have to decide, do I want to make it a priority, an intentional part of my life and devote myself to the act of prayer, not just for myself, my job, my future, my, my relationships, That's all about you. Okay, there's some legitimacy there, but what is he focused on? Reconciliation. It starts with you and me. Am I reconciled to God? Because if I want to reconcile with those people in my lives that I'm not clicking with right now, I need this. Okay? I need this. It starts with this, okay? If you have trouble remembering that, the vertical axis of the cross is our relationship with God. The horizontal bar on the cross is our relationship with the world, everybody else. If I want this to work, I need to get this right, okay? If you have trouble remembering that, go to the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are about our relationship with God, the next six are about our relationship with other people. It's all over it. His fingerprints are all over it. Read the book, it's better than the movie, okay? Let's pray. Lord, um, it is so easy for me to stand here and talk about prayer. It's not really hard to listen to someone talk about prayer, but Lord, praying is so hard because there's someone working against us. There's someone discouraging us from praying. There's someone distracting us from praying. There's really... All kinds of things working against us. There's the philosophies of this world. There's the devil himself and his legion horde of demons. And then there's just my fleshly nature, my, my carnal nature, my old hanging-on nature that just says, I don't want to do that. Lord, I pray that you would give us such a resolve to change the status quo in our lives. That we would intentionally reorient our lives around this discipline of praying to our creator and our redeemer. That we would start by acknowledging that you created us. That we would embrace you as not only our creator, but the one who reconciles us through the son of God, Jesus Christ, who took our place on the cross. He died for us so that we wouldn't have to live that we could live for you. God, help us to understand that. Help us to apply that to our own personal lives and then help us to tell others how they can be reconciled to their creator as well. Empower us, enable us, equip us, encourage us. Work deeply in our minds and our hearts that we might practice what we preach. In Jesus' name we pray.